researcher to practice conversation between pre-service and in-service teachers. In part one of this examination physical education special edition, I'm joined by 52 pre-service teachers and seven practicing teachers to discuss their different approaches to teaching examination physical education. In this part, we explore flipped learning, A-level PE, the use of technology, and using a visualizer to model answers. I hope you enjoy part one of the special issue. Okay, so hello everybody. Um, we haven't quite got all the students here yet, but um, people are jumping in and that's fine. So first of all, I'd like to thank everybody who responded to my uh, online request for help. Um, part of teaching, as you will know, is acknowledging the things you know nothing about. Um, and examination P is not my forte. Um, I haven't taught it for 10 years, and even then I didn't teach it very, very much. Um, so it seems to make sense to bow to the greater knowledge of many people and to pull on the networks that I, uh, <laughs> that I have, which is quite useful as well. So what we have in the room is some, um, some people I've never met. So huge thanks Thank for um, coming in. Uh, some people I taught when I was at the University of Bedfordshire, well, some person I taught when I was at the University of Bedfordshire, uh, and then quite a few Loughborough, ex-Loughborough trainees. Um, doesn't matter where you're trained. Um, uh, huge thanks for giving up your time um, to make a contribution to this session. Uh, I'm going to be quite rigid in terms of timings um, because I want to give everybody the 15 minutes that they've got. So I've asked people to prepare a presentation of about eight to 10 minutes five to 10 minutes, and then we're going to have a little bit of time for questions. <laughs> Tom, what are you laughing at? You've got us to take 10 minutes and that's it. Is that all right? I assume that was Tom laughing. Sounded like your laugh. Who was it? No, he's going to tell me it wasn't now. Um, right, so I think I've got everybody here. Okay, so we're going to start. Connie is going to go first. Um, Feel free to give a like five, ten second introduction and then crack on. Uh, you know, you don't need life history or any of that, Tom. Um, oh, sorry, let's make uh, uh, another person in. Yeah, so we'll go and hopefully we'll get questions. So type questions in the chat as you go along. Um, I'll monitor the chat. Put your hand up if you've got a question. Um, externals, feel free to ask a question. Um, I hope this is a learning experience for you guys as well. Um, as much as for the trainees themselves. Um, and that's why you're involved. So um, over to you, Connie. Okay. Can anyone hear Connie? No. 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 I heard a click then. Connie, you're struggling. Right. Start. Lucy, could you step in if needed while Connie tries to sort out and we'll do a swap? Yeah, that's if mine works because mine isn't really working either with the sharing my screen. I'm not sure if okay. it's not. 
Lucy, send me your PowerPoint. And then I will run, you just say click and I'll move it on for you. There's a lot of clicks. I don't mind. Is it the share tray? Is it the share tray which allows you to share it? Everyone's nodding, so. But my PowerPoint isn't at the bottom in my share tray. Right, open the PowerPoint. Yeah. You have to browse for it. So click on the, open the share tray, click browse in the top right hand corner and it'll say on my computer and then you'll be able to upload it there. All I, I can see is, I can see I've got Teams open, I've got Chrome open, but it, it just won't let me. Right, Lucy, email me your presentation. Okay. And then I'll bring that up. Sorry, Connie, I can see your lips moving, but I can't hear you. <laughs> Connie, come out and try to come back in again. Um, Lucy's sending me that. Harmony, are you ready? <laughs> Um, I can give it a go. Oh, we might as well. So whoever shares their screen first wins, I think, at the moment. <laughs> Never work with children or te technology. There we go. Right. Okay, so Harmony, you're on. Oh, brilliant. Um, okay. Um, so, hi, I'm Harmony. I just thought I'd give um, a little bit of an introduction to myself. Um, I am also um, a PE trainee and I'm training at the University of East London at the moment. Um, but, you know, trainees like to jump at any opportunity they see. Um, so I thought, yeah, why not? Um, I am on a Schools Direct course and um, it is Schools Direct Salaries. Um, so I do have my own classes. Um, so that's why I kind of like jumped this opportunity. Um, I started off the year just having like one class out of the like they had three lessons and so I had one lesson out of their three but now I have a class to myself. Um, I have quite a lot of um, background experience within um, PE teaching as well um, and so I've managed to kind of like compare two different ways of teaching. Um, obviously we have the um, yeah, the traditional method where, you know, we probably have all learned this way. Um, you know, you go into your class, you learn the knowledge stuff, um, and then you probably, for your homework, you probably answer a series of questions, you'd answer a long answer question, etc., etc. Um, but at the school that I'm at currently, so I'm at Epping St. John's at the moment, this is my main placement school, um, we're doing flip learning. Um, and it's just, I don't know how many years old it is, but I know it's relatively new. <laughs> um, and actually, I find it's quite useful. So when I when I leave this school and go elsewhere, um, I'll probably this is probably the main thing that I'll take with me because um, you kind of you focus more on your haps and laps. And by haps and laps, I use this a lot. Um, it's higher attaining pupils and lower attaining pupils. So those who are um, towards the top end of the scale and those who are at the um, bottom end. We also have our maps as well, who are easily forgotten. Um, but through the hinge points, this is where we try and include them as well. So um, what is flip learning? So flip learning, like I said, it's completely different to um, the traditional method of learning. Um, so what we do, uh, we the homework set is essentially set before the lesson. OK, so we set them the task of researching the knowledge stuff. So if our topic, for example, is bone, bone classification, we may give them um, resources for them to take notes on. Um, we're quite lucky in that the head of our PE department, they've actually um, 
through lockdown 1.0, um, they recorded his own presentations. So he, we've got like um, six 15 minute long videos on um, a certain topic and they will take notes from that, okay? Once they're then in the lesson, this is where we then start to answer the questions um, and answer like the long answer questions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so the three components which we have um, in EdXL GCSE PE, sorry, my lines are going, um, we have our knowledge section, so that's A01. Then we have to apply that knowledge to a sport. And then for our higher level thinking, uh, it's about evaluating the effectiveness of each knowledge. Um, so as I've just said, before the lesson, we have our independent research and our teacher-led video on the topic. Um, like I said, if your P department are lucky enough to do that, then you can, or you could find stuff um, on YouTube. The expectations for our students and for their homework um, is, it is relative to their ability. Um, so the, at a minimum, they must note down any of the knowledge points which they have. Um, we expect them to try and then apply each of their knowledge to a sport. And then for our HAPS, this isn't exclusive to HAPS, but you know, for any student, but we definitely expect our HAPS to do this. Um, we will then expe expect them to evaluate it. We then also like to have a bit of like parent and student contribution um, and have that relationship going, especially during COVID, like it's quite hard to, you know, actually get parents in and talk to them. So we like to um, encourage students to then like tell their parents or tell siblings what they've learned about. And then they write down any comments in their book, um, which they've done. And then during the lesson, then um, we spend a short, like 10 minutes max, recapping the knowledge that they've done from their homework. Um, at the start, we have our interleaving activity, um, interleaving being like we go back to a previous topic for like 10 minutes. Um, so we spend maximum 10 minutes. Then we go into a bit more detail for applying our knowledge to the sport, and we'll do that through watching the video. Um, we try and include any kind of videos, like it could be rugby, hockey, you know, your traditional sports, and then our non-traditional, um, such as like kabaddi, we've done, we've done um, lacrosse, um, we've done like other stuff as well. Um, so just to make it a little bit interesting for them. And then we'll go through our valuation as a class. Um, so we like flip learning because it goes into the kind of questioning in a bit more detail, um, but obviously it's not without its flaws. You know, if we have a student who hasn't done their homework, they probably will struggle a little bit during a lesson. Um, you know, if they haven't come, you know, they, they, they're trying to note down during the 10 minutes all the notes that they can because they haven't done the homework. Um, you know, they, they will struggle and we are completely aware of this. Um, so then this is where our hinge points come in. Um, so hinge points aren't, they're not exclusive to flip learning, but they're just, they, they are very, very useful with flip learning because we're aware that actually flip learning um, it is a more advanced style, um, you know, and that there will be students who just don't get it. Um, so the hinge point is a point where we check in with students and we check in with their needs, we check in with their learning um, and we just check if they're ready to move on. Um, generally speaking, in our classes, we have a bit of a split. OK, so we have like two thirds of the class will be ready to move on and a third won't be. Um, there are some topics where students haven't been great. Um, you know, such as like anatomy and physiology, our students aren't particularly good at that. So we'll actually have to step back with the whole class rather than have some move forward and some not. Um, the way in which we check their knowledge um, is through like you can do this in many, many different ways. But my favourite is the following. So we either have them reflect on their learning from the lesson. So I display the success criteria and they go, yep, I've achieved. So we do bronze, silver, gold. Um, they go, yep, I've achieved bronze, I've achieved silver, I've achieved gold. Um, 
if they achieve, if they think they've achieved up to silver, we let them move on. If they can't achieve up to silver, then we um, we do some more work with them. Um, we all can also have some multiple choice questions. They can choose stuff on the board. Um, or we do a Kahoot. Obviously, this is down to your school's mobile phone policy, or if you have like a one-to-one -one iPad um, scheme, or if you're in a computer room. Um, but they all kids love a Kahoot. Um, they absolutely love it. You can't go wrong with that. So then, you know, you just um, record who's done what, um, and then you can tell students who can move on and who can't. Um, this um, I always have, as you can probably tell, I do love a bit emoji, um, but we say yes or no. And if they're on yes, they will move to the left hand side of the room. And if they're on no, they'll move to the right hand side of the room. Um, if they're on a yes, they will be set off to do their own tasks. So they can be set off to do short answer questions. They can do a long answer question. And then if they if they finish all that, then they can do, go on to creating a revision card. Um, and so that just helps us, you know, answering their questions, um, getting them to thinking a bit more. And then at the end of the lesson, we'll go through all the answers as a class. Um, if they're not ready to move on, like I said, we usually only have about a third of students who aren't ready. And so it's quite nice. We can have them in a small little group and we can talk to them individually. We'll recap any knowledge that they've missed, um, you know, ask individualized questions, have them go through it a bit more have them create a revision card and then we'll compare revision cards and they can look at each other's. Um, and then hopefully by then they'll be ready to go on to the short answer questions. Um, so yeah, that is um, a whistle stop tour on flip learning and chin points. Um, I was aware of time, but I think I may have gone too quick. <laughs> uh, no, you're doing fine. I think you started about three minutes past and now it's about, so I'm gonna give you the 10 minutes. So it's Lovely. always difficult when you're presenting, but it does give us some chance for, um, some questions. So any questions, and this can be from, can you stop screen, sharing your screen as well? That'd be great. Yes. So any questions? First question is always the hardest one to ask. Uh, so I'll ask you the question. What's your, what's the one thing you will definitely do on your next phase? Um, teaching with regards to examination PE and what's the one thing that you'll never ever do again? <laughs> um, so one thing that I will definitely do, um, I'll definitely do flip learning, like I, I really do love this and I do love the whole, um, you know, splitting it up and making sure it's accessible to both HAPS and LAPS. Um, you know, sometimes LAPS, they don't get on with the flip learning at all and so what I've started to do is implementing worksheets for them so they're still learning the knowledge beforehand but I'll just make it so much more easier. Um, oh, what I won't do next time, um, well, I probably won't start setting homework over lockdown. That's <laughs> definitely, if they're, if they're homeschooling, they're not, they're not um, focusing on the flip learning at the moment. They're just not doing it. So we are having to go back to the more traditional style. Um, but yeah, I think, oh, what, I would, what wouldn't I do? It's a good question. I think you've answered it. I wouldn't do yeah. flip. Flip, flip, flip learning at the moment. Yeah. Okay, any other questions? This is your opportunity, folks. Any of the practicing teachers? Any observations? Go on, Ash, I'll ask one. Cool, thank you. Um, so how do you get students to engage with the flipped learning, like your students that don't tend to do homework and don't tend to do the work properly or 
hand in homework to engage with group learning as it's before the lesson? Um, yeah, it's a very good question because we, um, the school that I'm at, they just struggle with homework in general. Um, so, like I said, the worksheets, like I've pinpointed um, five students in our class who are really, really struggling with flipped learning. And so, um, start off with I'm doing these worksheets with them um, and they're responding so much better to it. Like the worksheets, they have about five, six questions on them um and they'll they literally, can literally take like about 10 minutes to do it um so that's one way um another way is communication with parents um that's a, that's a massive massive thing um that you know i've seen a massive improvement in you know i've had like parents crying on the phone to me because they're like i just don't know what to do but then actually through these worksheets and through really working with them and their parents and having these like student parent meetings on teams um i think that's really really beneficial because you've got that um, relationship with home then Thanks, Harmony. Robbie, do you want to answer that question verbally as opposed to just on the chat? Because I'm not sure I can say Lightner system. Did I get that right? See, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't really want to say it as well. So that's why I put it in the chat. <laughs> so you, you can just go with mine. That system that you're talking about in the chat then. Yeah, so is the hinge type one pretty much the same thing? It's like you progress or you, if you get it wrong, you go back. If you progress, you go forward. Is that what I understood or did I misunderstand? Um, um, yeah, to, kind, yeah, kind of. So it just because you're you're checking. It's like you can do like we only do one hinge point, but you can do more. So some some teachers do like two or three hinge points in their lesson, and like usually you do it after you know you've taught a knowledge their knowledge section, and then you'll just check that they're ready to move on to the application and then further to evaluate. Um, and yeah, it is it can yeah you can say actually Ed, are you ready to move on or are you are you or shall we move back and just recap it? Um, you know you may want to have some more activities up your sleeves to make sure that they understand it a bit better. Um, but yeah, it's just checking who's ready to move and who's not. Okay, perfect. Cheers. Okay, thanks, Harmony. We'll we'll call it there for now. Um, Connie. Can we so can we just say thank you so you can um, turn mics on and, and clap? You can. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Harmony. Thank you. I can't hear you, Connie. Right, Lucy, do you want to give it a go? Or oh, Connie, do you want to keep? Sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, okay. I, sorry, I downloaded it on the laptop, so now I'm just gonna. Right. Sorry. Oh, sorry, can you can you see me now as well? There we go. Ash, you're muted. Okay, all right. I can't see Connie's screen at the moment. Is this request? Can you see it? Yeah, sorry. Um, I had I've basically downloaded it on my other laptop, and now it's just loading. Um, the I'm just trying to share my screen now. Um, but if Lucy's all ready to go, I can. She can go first. I'm more than happy to. Can I practice if this works to share my screen? Yes, go for it. Can you see my screen? Yes. So if I just go on this way, can you now see my PowerPoint? Yes. Perfect. Well, I and might you press go. play. We're on. Excellent. Does okay. that work? It does. Perfect. Thanks, Lucy. Right. right, Connie, we'll get you on next once you've got your thing downloaded. Uh, right, so um, 
I'm going to talk a little bit about incorporating IT into lessons, so just ways of making uh, lessons more effective and engaging through the use of IT. So uh, a little bit about me. So uh, I'm a teacher of PE, my second year of teaching, and I did both my undergrad uh, and my PhD at Loughborough. Uh, I'm currently teaching uh, health and fitness, OCR GCPE, OCR A-level PE and level three BTEC sport. So I'm going to try and incorporate uh, all those different qualifications in this presentation. Uh, a, little bit about my, a little bit about my school. So uh, the Terraris Academy, we are an absolutely huge school with over uh, 2,350 pupils. We've got three campuses, um, uh, as of which we have uh, Trent and Sixth One Campus are both fully one-to-one -one iPad. So that means every pupil gets an iPad um, for their learning. Um, and this is uh, regardless of whether pupils are on pupil premium, etc. everybody gets an iPad. So um, why use an iPad in education? So this is just going to talk, show you loads of different ways of using an iPad. Such a valuable uh, tool which we can use um, for education. Hopefully some of you uh, have seen some of these, hopefully used some of these recently with remote learning, but some of them may be new to you. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the platforms that you can use. I know there's more, uh, but we use either Google Classroom or Shobi. Um, these are basically just a central platform for the class where you can communicate, upload resources, provide feedback. Personally, I use Google Classroom and this is what the P department uses at Deferas. However, a lot of uh, departments also use Shobi. Uh, I'm going to, for this presentation, I'm going to talk mostly about Google. Uh, however, I'd, uh, I'd recommend that you have a look at Shobi if it's something that you're interested in uh, or want to explore different options. Uh, so this is just a little bit about my um, my stream. So I have lots of different Google Classrooms based on the lesson. This is my A-level P skill acquisition one. As you can see, I um, have got lots of different topics and I've got resources under each topic. I can upload PowerPoints, links to Quizlets, links to YouTube videos, uh, and also provide resources in there. So it's just a central point of contact uh, and also a place to go which has all the information on there which people's need. Then a little bit about our lesson structure. So we do a, a four-stage lesson structure. The first one being a do now, which hopefully most of you have done before, which is just something students have to do when they come into the classroom. And it is uh, to activate prior knowledge. Then we move on to the I do, we do, where we introduce new knowledge. So where those explanations uh, of the knowledge that you have, which you impart to the pupils. Then step three is you do, so it is able uh, a chance for the pupils to uh, demonstrate their knowledge and understanding, which they've gained uh, through the lesson uh, and demonstrate that to you as the teacher. And then finally, stage four is the exit ticket. So this is something uh, which shows that the pupils understand the content and actually provides um, a way for the teacher to address any misconceptions uh, which are formed in the lesson. For us, this allows us to have clear routines, but for me, the most important part of the lesson is the start. If you start the lesson off well, it will go well. So make sure you establish clear routines at the start of the lesson, find something that works for your class and stick with it. Do the same thing again and again and again. For me, my students know when they have to come to the classroom, what they need to do, and this really does reduce the cognitive load, so they don't have to be asking, miss, what am I doing, Worse, what am I doing? They know as soon as they come into the classroom, they all know, what they're going to be getting on with because it's the same thing we do each lesson.
So uh, what I'm going to talk to you about is how I incorporate IT into each element of this lesson. This is just a, uh, an infographic which, which shows each part of the lesson, a different apps which you can use in each element. But I'm going to talk to you uh, a little bit more detail about certain apps which you can use and give examples of how I use them. So first up, the first part of the lesson, the do now, this is the recourse. This is um, a way for us to activate that prior knowledge. And the app which I'm spotlighting, top right corner, is Socrative. So this is a, a web-based uh, interactive app, um, and it allows me to upload quizzes um, for pupils to complete. I've got the capability to share those quizzes with other teachers, uh, which is great to reduce workloads, um, but also uh, really, really valuable in being able to um, share it with other people as well, not just as those in my department and in my school. Um, pupils will get different questions um, and they will um, complete those questions and I will get live results of their progress. So uh, here just shows how I would um, set up this process. I always go on instant feedback, uh, require their names. I also shuffle the questions. This means that uh, all students complete it independently. So it means that if Bob is sat next to Fred, they won't get the same uh, and, uh, same questions. So it means that they can't copy one another and they have to do it independently. And then finally, I show the final score so they can see their progress, see how well they're doing. But I actually hide the question feedback and I'm going to show you why I do that in a second. So this is how I set up um, setting up my Socrative uh, with each question. All I have to do is uh, select an answer. As you can see, you can incorporate uh, photos in there. Um, to make it a little bit more interactive uh, and relevant for the topic that you're teaching. Then once I have completed my Socrative, I get something which looks a little bit like this. So um, green goes for correct, red goes for incorrect. And what I'm able to do then is I'm able to analyse this data which I've got um, from that do now task. So I can analyse it on a question level. So as you can see here, number five and number 10, uh, they are both the poorly answered questions which show to me it might be a topic which all of my group are struggling on but also I can analyse it on an individual level. So I can see that Jack here has got 47%, which is considerably lower than the rest of the group, which means that he must need support or there's something that he don't, doesn't understand, but it, it draws me to that so I can um, address that if needs be. Then what I can do is I can address any misconceptions. So question five was one that I highlighted that our pupils uh, didn't do well on. I can uh, hide these results and I can talk and ask them, um, how do we do? What did you think of this question? What did we all put? Why did you put that? Uh, and then I can actually show the results and I can see that 47% of the class got it right, but a lot of us put veins and pulmonary artery. So I can um, unpick why people put that and address that misconception. So we know going forward that the answer is arterioles uh, and not anything else. Uh, other ways you can do this, this app spotlight is Plickers. This is a bit more low tech, so it doesn't actually require everyone to have an iPad. Um, but what it does is uh, teachers can create questions. Um, they are projected up onto a screen and their students can hold up a, a response card which indicates their answer to that question. The teacher can then scan the room to collect all of the uh, answers uh, which they've got from, uh, from their students. So this takes a little bit of setting up. It does take some time. So you have to organise a class. So this is um, one class and they all get a card which looks something a little bit like this. And the way that they hold the card uh, dictates whether they've got A, B, C or D as the correct answer. Um, it is quite um, heavy to set up. However, once you've set it up and you've done it, you can roll with it every single lesson. A top tip is if you're going to go, uh, if you're going to go ahead with this, 
maybe try and stick one of the, the cards in the back of the book. So every time they come in, they know that that's where that card is. This just shows how you scan the room. So people's holding up their answer and you scan to get all of those uh, answers on a mobile device. And it gives you uh, this level of detail like Soxid does. So it allows you to address those misconceptions. What questions are we doing well on, but also who is struggling and who needs more support? However, uh, I recognize that um, not everybody has access to, to technology and I believe that recall is really important. So different ways you can do it. Action pack with a whiteboard, pen and rubber had these in one of our placement schools, they're in a pack. As soon as pupils come into the room, they take one um, and then there's questions on the board for them to answer, um, allows them to um, demonstrate that knowledge, but also five a day. So a worksheet which has got five questions on um, and you answer those five questions. For me, it's really important with the recall that every pupil gets, gets access to that, that, um, that work, not just asking the whole class and only asking uh, one pupil who answers most questions. This allows everyone to be engaged. The theory behind that I'm just going to touch on uh, is space practice. Um, so it's a learning strategy which uh, mixes up the topics in which you practice. Uh, and this actually can boost retrieval and storage strength in pupils. So I don't know if you've seen this before, this is the forgetting curve. So when you first learn something, uh, information disappears really, really rapidly. And uh, space practice, so being able to go back uh, on previous topics uh, actually means that uh, you strengthen your memory retention and you can review that knowledge, which means that um, you are memorizing it and you're not forgetting it. And ways you can do this is if you've got five questions, do three from last week, uh, three from last lesson, one from last week and one from last month. Uh, in my Socrative questions, I always do 15 questions. And what I do is I do uh, five from um, from last last month, uh, five from last week and five from last lesson. Just splits that up and it means that we're always going over that previous content so we don't forget it. One minute, Sorry, next up, I do, we do. So this is Google Jamboard. Um, pupils can um, put in lots of different ideas. So it's just collaborative. It means that um, everyone is, is, is um, engaging in that content, but also I can download that PDF and share it. Other apps allow us to do this like Padlet and Poplet, which means you can all access something uh, and share that uh, knowledge which you, which you have and it's really engaging. Uh, next up, you do. So this is Google Docs. So I've made a six mark question on a GCC question. And what I can do is I can make a copy for each student. That means that within a click of a button, every pupil has a Google Doc uh, and I can actually see them editing that uh, live. So I can see who's not started it, who's finished it and who needs some more help. What I can then do is I can add comments on um, to provide feedback uh, if they require. Really, really good actually with remote learning. Uh, finally, so my exit ticket, so uh, Spotlight and Quizlet. Hopefully lots of you uh, have used Quizlet before. It's basically just a set of cards with terms and conditions, uh, terms and definitions. Look something like this. This is one that I've made. You don't need to make your own though because you can just search and find what other teachers have made. Uh, then what you can do is you can match. So this is where uh, they match up the definition um, and the term. Really, really good to focus on time, getting the time as quick as possible, creating a leaderboard, really, really engaging or actually doing a Quizlet Live. So Quizlet Live um, means that you set it up and um, you can work in groups or individually. Groups is really, really great as it allows that collaboration. As you can see, three devices, uh, the answer is on one of the three devices. So it requires the pupils to talk and communicate with each other um, to find out who's got the answer so they can progress forward on that, um, on that competition. 
And then finally homework. So this is Google Forms. Uh, I've set this homework up here with some questions. Uh, what I can then do is I can actually set up answers which will come through. As soon as they submit their Google Form, they get an answer that is right or wrong. So it marks it for you. Uh, then I get this level of feedback on questions uh, and individual level. And then finally, what I can do is I can import questions from other Google Forms to reduce my workload. So if there's one that they didn't do well on last week, I can import that in this week. I can also insert images and add videos. Do you want me to hold it there? Yes, please. We can, if, you share, if you share the, the presentation with me, I can let everybody, I can let the students have a, a look at that. So yep, thanks, fine. Lucy. Thanks very much. Um, if I could get control, if you could stop sharing, that would be great. Excellent. Thank you. So any questions? You've got three minutes for questions. It could be anyone. Hands gone up. I'll just work out who that is. Ryan, off you go. Just ask it. I don't think we need hands up. Um, mine's just um, on regarding like if you go into a school where they might not have access to laptops and iPads and things like that, what would you do in terms of, of that situation? Um, so for me, I find it really um, useful to have a Google Classroom or Shobi set up regardless of whether they have the iPad or commuter in the classroom because that means that you can set up stuff for kids to do at home. So being able to set those up means that kids can have access to the PowerPoints and the Quizlet resources and anything else you need to in a click of a button just by logging on a computer at home if they have access to that. Um, if they don't, um, I think Plickers is amazing. Um, maybe um, find out what works for you. Um, but Plickers, all it requires is you to use a device, scan the room um, to get the answer. So if you want to use that for, for example, your exit ticket um, to kind of get what pupils know and what they don't know, um, that is really, really, really valuable because it doesn't require any pupils to have uh, a device. And if you've got it set up and you've got the and you've got the um, card set up, it means that you can use it actually for the start of the lesson and also for the end of the lesson if you want to. Um, but just trying to use ways of having um, stuff which doesn't require everyone to have an iPad exploiting those, those opportunities. Perfect, thank you. Okay, so I'll ask a question. So you talked, to, there's quite a lot of time involved in this, Lucy. So, um, Clearly, you think it's time well spent, but you know how much how much time is it does it is it taking you in the first instance to set this up, and how much benefit are you getting? So I assume you're taking. Oh, sorry, I'll start. You answer your own question. I'm not going to assume anything. Um, so uh, I make up a Google Classroom at the start of the year for every class. That happened at the start of the year because it happens regardless of whether we've been remotely. It's something we've done for a while. And what I can then do is year on year, I can actually import the whole topics resources from each uh, Google Classroom. So it doesn't mean that I need to upload the same uh, the same thing every year. I can actually import it. Um, also, this isn't related to theory P in reality, but also with our practical PE, you can actually, if you've got charge of multiple Google Classrooms, you can actually upload one post and then upload it to each Google Classroom without doing individual posts. Um, it does take practice. That's the big thing for me is practice and making sure that you are confident with it but when my pupils come into the classroom the google um the socrative code is on the board and they come in they tell the socrative code and they get on with their 15 questions so it means 
for me my first 15 minutes of my lesson is I've got no input at all it's all it's all done by the pupils and it allows me that time then to potentially talk to pupils who might need help or uh, ask them how they are um but in particular with it being remote learning and running around to every single classroom that for making those first 10 minutes of the lesson automatic just absolutely saves your time um, but being able to get that real live data from the pupils I think is the most valuable element because if, if a teacher comes to me and goes how are your class doing I can go here are my subjective results which are all in a spreadsheet and I can see uh, how well they do uh, and how will they fluctuate upon different tasks okay huge thanks Lou. I'm just going to say that your your input is not zero because there's a lot of work going on before the lesson to allow that you to have the time to go and do everything else. So you're moving some of that work from during the lesson to before the lesson. So Definitely. And once you've done it once, once you made a Socrative quiz once, you don't need to make it again. So like anything, like like you taught us on our, our training year, once you've made something once, you don't need to make it again. Oh, you see, I'm so good. Um, anyway, thank you very much. Can everyone save their show their appreciation for Lucy for, for that time? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And Connie, you're on. I really hope this works. I've well, just, I can hear you. So that's uh, the first that's bit. Start. Um, right, I'll just try and share my screen now. Huh? Mm. Oh, come on. Right, oh, come on. There we go. Right, I'm really sorry about um, messing, you all got, messing you all about, but got there in the end. Um, okay, so hi everyone, my name's Connie. Um, I put my Twitter there in case um, in case there's, um, I can hear music, so I hope that's not me. Anyway, um, I put my Twitter there just in case there's any questions at the end and you want to ask me. Um, so just a bit of a background. Um, I'm in my third year of teaching, and for the last two years I've been um, in a second in department role with the responsibility for leading on A-level. So I thought it would be helpful if I could share a few tips for teaching A-level because I kind of think that's now become my sort of speciality. It's not specific to teaching remotely, but hopefully if you are teaching A-level at the moment and um, there are a few tips that you could apply. And I'm sorry if I talk too quickly, I just, I don't want to overrun. Um, so some of the demands of A-level, this is sort of to provide an, a rationale as to why I'm um, doing some sort of top tips. So firstly, there is a lot of content, which means there is a lot to remember. So A-level, 70% is theory that they need to sit in uh, um, at the end of the two-year course. Um, secondly, it is a diverse subject with a range of content. So you can have subjects, you know, from anatomy and physiology to sports psychology to biomechanics to sociology. So there's um, students tend to have different strengths. So you could have some students that really um, are really strong in anatomy and physiology, um, but are just not interested in, in sport and society and that sort of thing, um, and vice versa. So, you know, differentiation is, is key. And also, um, at A-level, most marks are awarded for higher order thinking skills. So um, like I think her name is Harmony said at the beginning, um, we're talking about this AO2 and AO3. So whereas at GCSE, most marks are awarded for AO1, which is knowledge, at A-level, the majority of your marks are going to come from application and analysis and evaluation. And that's not me saying knowledge isn't important because knowledge is important. If you don't have the knowledge, you can't, um, how are you supposed to apply or, or analyse that knowledge? Um, but that's sort of some of the demands. So my first tip is, number one, is to be secure in your subject 
knowledge. So sometimes people are a little bit put off by teaching A-level and they find it quite daunting because of the subject knowledge. And I know that I'm in a department, a small department of six, and I'm sort of one of three teachers that teach A-level and a couple of them still really don't want to teach it because even though they've sort of been teaching 10 years, they're, kind of, they're quite put off. So I'd say having a, sub, a secure subject knowledge is very important. Um, and it's not just important for the learning, but it's also important if you think about your other teaching standards, like building relationships and behaviour management, because as soon as, as soon as a student knows that you don't know what you're talking about, you kind of lost your credibility. Um, so what I would say is use planning firstly as a chance to learn the content. So even though um, at first it might be quite onerous and time consuming, it will really help you learn the content. So like Lucy said, even if you take, um, even if it takes you a bit, work of, a bit of time at first, you've then got it there for life. You can obviously go back and retweak it when you get different groups, or if you've got different ideas, but don't, you know, I when I first plan the first lesson, I use the textbook, I use the, the specification, I lose ideas from Twitter, and it might take me a while. But now, you know, I've taught that same lesson four times. I don't need to do that all again, and it will really help you learn that knowledge. Um, my second tip is to think about common misconceptions students might have um, and plan how you might address them. So as you're learning the content to then teach it, you might be like thinking, ah, oh, okay, I found that quite tricky. If you found it quite tricky to learn yourself, it's very likely the students are also gonna find it quite tricky. So think about how you might come to address it. So for example, when you're teaching planes and axes, um, you do it at GCSE and at A-level, I know that students are gonna get confused because you have a sagittal plane and you have a sagittal axis. You have a, um, a transverse plane and a transverse axis. So, okay, how can I help them learn that? So I might teach them a little acronym. So we, I just use um, set fast rugby league to learn the plane, movement, axis, plane, movement, axis. Hopefully you can kind of see that. Um, other example, I know that students are going to get confused when I've just taught them that the um, when you do knee flexion, the agonist is the hamstring, and then when I'm talking about different types of muscle contraction, I then teach them actually when you do knee flexion in a squat and you're going on a, um, when it's an eccentric contraction, it's not the hamstring that's the agonist, it's actually the quad. So okay, I think about how can I help them learn that. Um, I might make a different um, sort of an order of that you would go through something when you're doing a movement analysis table. Um, when I'm teaching cardiovascular system, the regulation of heart rate can be quite confusing, lots of different steps. So I think, okay, I'm going to present this in a flow diagram, condense it all. Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of one, um, one some ways I do that. And then finally, don't be afraid to say no, um, I don't know. So all the time students ask me questions and it's really great that they're thinking about um, thinking beyond the spec. Um, and I'm really lucky that my year 13s at the moment, lots of them actually want to go and study sports science and they ask loads of questions, which I just don't know the answer to. And don't be afraid to just say, look, I don't know. Great question. Um, I'll find out for you. I'll come back to you, come back to you at the end of the lesson. Um, my second top tip is to use low stakes tests and quizzes. Um, so I, yeah, I tend to call them quizzes because I think quizzes sounds a bit more fun than tests. Um, but what it means by low stakes is it means that it's not recorded, it's not a formal assessment and students get instant feedback and it can be quite motivating for them to sort of master knowledge. So um, and they're also really good, like when I was saying earlier about um, your AO1 knowledge, your AO2 application and your AO3 is your analysis and evaluation. If you can help them learn knowledge, it frees up space in your working memory to do that more advanced thinking, that AO2 and the AO3. Um, so sort of a, a little bit of um, cognitive science there. So it is, it is really, um, it is really useful. So 
what I do is I start every lesson with a recap quiz. So sort of similar to what Lucy was saying with her um, Socrative, which it's it's um, similar principle. I start every lesson with a recap quiz. So um, normally it's on the screen, like Lucy said, on the screen, they come in, they just start. I use a lot of mini whiteboards. So if I was in school, I'd do that. If it's on remote, it would just be on the screen as sort of a, a, an arrival activity. Really simple, only a few questions, low stakes one word answers, a few words maximum. Um, normally based on the previous lesson, but it can incorporate some interleaving. So you might have a question on, you know, from a few a few lessons back. Um, and then they can just sort of mark it, mark it themselves, or you can go through. Um, so that's the first way I sort of use low stakes quizzes. And now if they're in a routine, um, it's quite easy to do. I also do weekly knowledge organizer quizzes. So this is more of how I incorporate interleaving. So a knowledge organizer is basically um, a piece of paper which has the most important information on a topic, what's what's most important that you don't forget. And with my year 13s, I I sort of do it every week. They, I give them a knowledge organizer based on what they could have done last year in year 12, and they have a week to revise it, and then we and then we quiz on that. So it would, it would simply look like um, the knowledge organizer with a few blanks, and then they just need to fill in the blanks, and then they get their completed ones out and they mark it themselves. And that's a really good way of revising as we go um, and just sort of reviewing that that knowledge. And then my third way is. I use a lot of multiple choice questions and this is really um, this is really good if you are teaching remotely at the moment. So um, just simply making your own multiple choice or finding some from the exam boards and doing that whole approach of, um, you know, I say, right, type your answer into the chat. Don't press send yet. Three, two, one, send. They all send it at the same time and then I can see who's got it right, who's got it wrong. And it sort of avoids that whole uh, people are, you know, people copying each other's answers. Um, so that's a really good way of doing it quite, and I quite like doing that. And then also I use online platforms like Quizzes and Kahoot. Um, Quizzes is, 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 is linked to that Quizlet. I've not actually used Quizlet, I've only used Quizzes, but it's basically like, if you ever use Kahoot, it's a better version of Kahoot. It, it, you can make the questions, but it's not just multiple choice. You can make um, fill in the blank or checkbox. And at the end of it, you can see, so this is my year 12, so it's at an end topic quiz. Um, and I can see who who got what right, who got what wrong. And then you simply click um, this little download button and then you download it and you get a spreadsheet which tells you, um, you know, what they got right, what they got wrong. So that's um, a way you can use low stakes quizzes. And then finally, my final tip is to connect with others. And I'm sure you've been told a lot um, on your PDC about, you know, using Twitter and everything like that. So um, yeah, connect with others. So PE teachers, um, I'm still two of my best friends now are people that I met on my PGC and we, you know, one, one, one's from the southwest teaching teachers in quite a challenging school. The other is working in a private school, an all girls private school, and we always talk about and collaborate ideas for teaching A level and beyond. So keep in contact with your current trainees. Um, use Twitter. I made some really good kind of Twitter friends there. Um, I've put some, if you are teaching AQA, I've put a few AQA A-level teachers who are really good on there. Um, and also experts from the exam board. So um, there are a few people on Twitter who are actually lead sort of CPD stuff for the exam board. And if you follow them, they're always happy to answer your questions um, and give you really specific advice for your exam board. Um, and yeah, finally, teachers in other departments like PE's got really good overlaps with psychology and areas of biology. So it's, it's a good idea to sort of talk to those other teachers just so you can, um, if they've got doing something well that works with them. Yeah, thank you for listening.
Thanks, Connie. That's Sorry, great. stop scaring the um, uh, Yeah, my yeah, son's my doing, son's doing um, um, PE, uh, biology, and psychology. So ah, he's decided to get himself really confused because they use different terms in all three subjects for the same thing, which is yeah. another thing you need to be aware of. Um, <laughs> but huge thanks for that. So, yeah, any questions for Connie regarding? Um, either specifically or generally in, in, in terms of what she's talked talk, about. I have a question, Ash, if that's okay. Absolutely. Hi, Connie. Um, this, is, this is a little bit more, I guess, not so much led towards the students, but more towards teachers, because uh, I think I might be in a similar situation to you where you don't have necessarily the most enthusiastic stuff to lead on the A-level provision. Yeah. And you discussed at the start about kind of embedding subject knowledge and utilizing that as a platform. Have you had any kind of quick wins or ideas on how you've infused other members of your department to kind of get on board with the A-level teaching? Because I have found that a, a big challenge myself. Do you know what? The answer is no. I've just sort of, no, because I've had, um, we had someone go on maternity cover who does teach A-level and um, I've had to pick up her remaining because staff just aren't willing to do it. And then it sort of comes down to, well, I, I'm enthusiastic and I know it's a bit more work for me doing it because you know teaching theory PE is, is more is more workload than teaching um, core PE but I think yeah no so if you have any ideas please share them <laughs> but, I, but it's really funny because I don't even think it is that it's not that bad like when you there is lots of that they build on from GCSE um there just seems to be a bit of a um yeah I find it, it quite yeah, so I was interested if, if many of you guys have taught A-Level, because I know on my training year, I only taught maybe five hours max, sort of mm. halfway through one of my placements, because obviously not all placements have sixth form. And then when I came into my NQT year, I was boom, four, you know, four, four hours a week. And then, yeah. I'll put a little thing. If you taught A-Level, just give it a thumbs up. That'll give us a quick poll. Um, so it's in the chat, which is fine. And then we'll get a quick answer to who, if you, who's there. My advice to uh, you, Pop 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 Polly, is is get a, a you know a good uh, trainee to 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 teacher in and tell um, and tell them they're they're uh, teaching A level, um, because this lot would bite your hand off. I'm very sure um, in terms of doing it, um, and I think it's one of those things is trusting your um, trainee teachers to go and do a good job because sometimes this gets protected um, because it's so important, and yet uh, it something that people really want to throw themselves into as well so 10 of them have taught a level <clears throat> so that's, i guess it's um, hard now 8%. especially with the remote learning and it being quite well year 13s and year 11s are probably no goes at the moment um but... anyone teach year 13 after to give to put another question in there now connie um <laughs> so we'll go with that okay um we'll finish it there thank you because uh, i'm aware of time can we say thank you to connie Thanks, Connie. Nice one. Cheers. Thanks, um, and Debs, I think you're up next. Thanks, Ash. So, a bit of a, a change of screen share midway through to put the visualizer on screen. I'll try and make it as no, that's fine. as slick as possible. But it, well, you know, no, for, you for now, I'll sleep, leave my camera on. You'll realise it's really hard to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll, um, I'll leave my camera on now so you can see what I look like for a moment. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, so, I'll just say say hello, a little bit of hello. Um, I did go to Loughborough and actually, Ash, the picture in the background that you have, um, I was a subwarden for three years while I was doing my master's and I worked for the Department of Sports Science for two years as a physiology technician and I lived in Hazelrig, which is the building to Ash's left as we look over his right shoulder. 
So I lived in Hazelrigg for three years as a subordinate um, between 2005 and, and 2008 uh, when I left after doing my PGCE. So it's nice nice to see the old place. Actually, what was my flat is now offices. So uh, it's a little bit strange if I ever do go back now for whatever reason. Um, I'm a teaching and learning lead in a quite a large P and uh, expressive arts faculty and I'm also the professional tutor at my school so I look after all the ITT, NQT and RQT teachers that we have which is is quite a lot because it's a school in a quite deprived inner city so we have quite a lot of new and early career stage staff which is kind of the, the, the trend in, in schools like that. Um, the most interesting thing about me that I'll put on the bottom, uh, people get a bit excited with this one, uh, is that I took two years off education to cycle around the world. Uh, it was a long way. Um, it uh, was a great excuse to eat an awful lot of cake and uh, I still love school so I came straight back to being a teacher when I got back. I didn't do it because I wasn't happy, I just did it because I wanted to see the world in a different way. So today we're talking about uh, using Visualizer for, for modelling and in particular um, I'm relating it to what I'm teaching right now. So I have taught a couple of different specs available and a couple of different specs of GCSE over the years but at the moment I've got an AQA GCSE PE class and I'm really lucky because they're pretty good, pretty good practically, they're pretty good academically. Um, so it's going pretty well um, and I'm really trying to max out the marks they get on the six and nine mark questions in the exam because it's about 78 on each paper it, it's quite a bulk I want to make sure that that's as secure as we can make it and the the great thing of one of the great one of the great things about COVID there's not been very many um, but a really great thing about COVID is that a lot of schools have made a heavy tech investment in things that will be practical for a long time um, so I'm standing in my kitchen and I've got my visualizer from school. I actually uh, brought one of the nice ones home. So I say a big investment in COVID. You know, we used to have like eight really good visualizers. Now we've got about 60, but some of them were about 40 quid and they're not as good. But I've got one of the nice ones. Uh, so um, you can now find visualizers probably in your school in quite a lot of your classrooms. Whereas before it might have been like there's one per department. You maybe have to book it. A lot of schools will now have them in every room. If you don't, you can budget a little bit. I've used an iPad um, as one uh, when I've been pre-recording stuff. I've used a mobile phone as one. It just required a bit of um, bit of bit of uh, clever manoeuvring with books and things like that. So why is this practice so useful? Why is having a visualizer so useful? Really, it's the idea that we're going to make our expert knowledge and our expert modeling explicit to our pupils in a way that we couldn't do just by providing a, a here's one I made earlier exemplar here's a nine out of nine exam question. So we're kind of showing the steps that somebody might go through you know, to, to prepare one of those questions. So I think what I'm going to do now is sort of bring you to the visualizer. So that, that's what my desk currently looks like. You can see I've got my visualizer. If you've got one of these style ones, you are lucky, these little ladybird kind of ones, they're, they're really great. Um, you can see that I've put my desk, um, I can put laptop on a box. That's just so I'm, it's a nice height for my, my microphone and everything. And I'm kind of ready to go. So I'm going to stop sharing my PowerPoint and start sharing my visualizer, which means my team's camera will go off. Bated breath. Yeah, so it's exciting. I mean, this, this probably is about as much fun as you can have, I would say, in lockdown, <laughs> in half term. So there's what you can see through the visualizer. You'll see that I actually have set it up in advance so that I've got my page is, is quite broad on the screen. I've actually already written my exam style question at the top, which for you guys is uh, evaluate the features of effective visualizer use for the modeling of exam questions. And I'm just going to take you through some things that I would do now if I was going into my school and thinking, OK, I'm going to do this in a lesson. What would I do? The first thing I would do is I would practice in advance. So I would get some practice. 
I would also choose a good pen. It really makes a difference. You're thinking, come on, this woman's coming here. She's talking to me. I'm on a love propitiation. She's telling me to choose a good pen. If the children can't read what you're writing, it really makes a difference. Here's one I stole from our art department earlier. Make friends in school and uh, find yourself a nice pen. Um, my handwriting isn't great, so I really have to take care with that with my writing. And depending on your own situation, you will also have to really consider your quality of your written communication. If you are not confident at making that really, really high quality, by that I mean all terminology is correct, all spelling is correct, all sentences are well structured, all grammar is used correctly, then you probably need to draft out the full thing in advance, which I would suggest you do a pretty decent draft anyway, but think about how much you do. Um, I'm slightly breaking one of my own rules here because I'm talking you through this as I'm doing it, and I'm going to write my next point. This is not match of the day. Um, we don't need a full-on commentary of, um, I'm about to write this now, or whatever it's going to be. What you do need to do is consider the bits about your writing that are really, truly important. And I'll show you an example of, of this from a lesson in a moment. So really pick out the things. If, if you're doing something that's important, perhaps because you're directly responding to the command word in a question, perhaps because you're using a value or a statistic or a fact to, to back up something you're saying, if, you, if you're including that in your writing, make sure you make that really explicit to pupils. This um, one really, really helps to have a second colour of ink handy and ready to go because you're going to want to plan your questions in advance and in particular, plan your pupils' involvement in this. So when do you want them and how do you want them to be thinking really, really hard? When will that happen? Will it be because you want them to do a sentence? Will it be because you want them to correct something that you've done wrong? Will it be because you provided the knowledge part of a paragraph and you want them to provide the practical example? Which bit of it will you involve them in? And you need to plan that in advance. And sometimes it can um, really, really help to have some different colours ready to highlight your work. Um, I will say this, obviously we had the slight disruption where I had to stop sharing my Teams camera because computers don't like the cameras busy in two apps. It's really helpful to be fluent with the tech. And if you're not, you know, you don't need, again, you don't need to commentate through, oh, I'm just going to see if this works, everyone. I'm just going to try this now. Just, you know, let yourself think about it properly. And um, if it's really problematic in a, in a real time classroom situation, you know, you could always have a backup ready to go. But hopefully if you've had a little practice in advance, remember that's not going to be a problem. So I'm just going to take you back now in my exercise book and I will, I will just show you something that's a really good one. And I didn't need to look at it because I thought very carefully about this in advance. But actually on the other side of my sheet, look, I've got some notes. They're the things I've just told you. So that was ready. The pupils couldn't see it. No one else could see it. But I, if I've got it, I've got it there if I need it. So notes ready. There's my version that you all saw. So I'm just going to take you back to this one that I did in a lesson recently, which is in the uh, the final unit of um, paper AQA, the diet and nutrition section. And you can see that I showed them my notes. And that green pen underlining came a little bit later because I was really kind of highlighting to my pupils that I had considered this part of the question in this part of my response. So really, really thinking what, what's important, what's going on here. 
Now, this level of this level of answer is not super aspirational for most of my most of my class. I've got a really really high attaining class. I've got I think I've got ten people. Okay, thank you. I've got ten pupils at, at grade seven or above, which is great. But I also have my pupils who need to make the biggest gains. Actually, are, are the more middle ability pupils in the class. So the language of this one kind of reflects that. I've also got a sentence finisher at the end, so they had to finish this one off. The pupils went on. Um, look at a range of similar six mark exam questions following my model. So I'm just going to stop sharing my visualizer and bring you back to having a look at some of their work. Not like that. <laughs> you know, be really great with the tech that really helps. Uh, so having followed the uh, the example on the visualizer, the pupils then went away and had some some things to do themselves. Now, you don't just need to use this to model long exam answers. You could use it in a few different ways. Um, I really like to, to do a, a sort of model of me doing an exam. So I would um, actually open the exam paper, seeing it for the first time like they are, say, oh, actually, I don't feel confident with this one, so I'm just going to move on now. I'm going to because I'm feeling really confident with it, then I might give them a couple of bullet points and say, okay, everybody's going to do this question now in your own version of it. So lots of different options for using it in the classroom. Main, main thing to consider is what approach are you going to use? I said this one wasn't sort of pitched really, really super, super duper in terms of the language I've used. It should have been accessible to even the EAL learners in my classroom. Um, there's two main here. Am I modelling for total mastery? or am I modelling for coping? So in my model, am I going to show some vulnerability? Like, oh, I've got to this point, what might I add next? Or I've got to this point, hmm, I'm not sure, what am I going to put on my sheet next? So there are two kinds of things there. And actually, I've just put in a, a recommended reading at the end. You can look a little bit more into that idea of coping versus mastery with the with the bottom article there. Okay, I think that's about, about time, Ash. Yeah, I mean, um, it You've got about four minutes for questions. So that's ideal. I just want to give people a chance to ask questions. I'd like to encourage people to ask more questions, but I'd still like to give people a chance. Um, I, I will answer this one. Uh, no, the beer cans are not usually on show during live lessons with school. Okay. There's a, there's a quick there's a quick tilt. So. Ah, very good. <laughs> Did you pick those up on your cycle? No, these are just from more. Yeah, this is this lockdown. You're still, this is lockdown. Screen, you're still showing your screen, so I can't. I'm not. My eyesight's not. You're about this big at the moment. Um, I'll send you the slides so you can share the links. Yeah, thank you. That'd be great. I haven't got the chat. Okay, so, any questions? Um, I've got one. Sorry. Do you use a scaffold with this as well? So I've been doing exactly what you're doing with modeling, trying to use Visualizer. Our visualizers are, like you say, the cheap ones, so they're not great. So I've been using a scaffold for my lower ability students, not not the higher ones. I've said, right, you guys get on your own scaffold for the weaker students. And then I model like all three come together and we try and write an answer together. I mean, is that something that you do? Yeah, so a, co a collaborative example, I might do that at a later point. So if, if we've got to a point where we have got some better uh, scores for these, yes, I certainly would do a collaboratively written one. And uh, as I said, for this last one, I expected them to finish it off. And actually, um, Connie, you earlier mentioned, you know, getting them all to wait till they send an example, uh, send an answer in online. We call that wait questions. And I think TLAC call it that as well. I, you know, thought it was innovative, it turns out to it. But that worked that so actually I got them to do that end finish finish this essay 
out of weight question. So they all typed it in, didn't send it. And then I could see everybody's different end. Um, so yes, there are lots of opportunities to be a bit more collaborative with this. Um, if you have a look through uh, the couple of resources I've sent there that were written by a guy called John Thompson, really important not to underestimate the power of doing the full model yourself sometimes, not every time, because that's going to get a bit dreary, isn't it? You know, uh, Miss Butler's just just uh, rambling on again with the visualizer, you know, uh, but it, it is there is a, a place and a time for that. In terms of scaffolds, yes, you could do things like um, any, you could have some sentence starters, but if it depends on the ability. You might have colours down the side of the page to break up the different sections if you're looking at some of the longer answers. So um, for this amount of lines, you should be talking about this and you could sort of use your own one and highlight that. You know, this was my opening paragraph where I have covered this little colour down the side. So yes, lots of opportunities to, to scaffold this. I think um, a lot of the things I try to implement, I'm, I'm generally thinking about where do I need the very top pupils to get to? And then how will I help the others get as far as they can along that path as well? And I think that's one thing that really appeals to me about this kind of, um, here's my exemplar technique, is that hopefully as many of them as possible can recreate something that's that's a high quality answer. Yeah, I think it's Did really I answer? because there are, there are often times when you can talk about an answer without actually understanding what it means to write an answer. And I think as a teacher, you can do it the same. Uh, you know, you can talk about what a good answer is, but if you can't write one yourself, then you know it's it's difficult for it's difficult for you to help them if you don't know what the answer, what how to write the answer. Yourself. Yeah, and I, and certainly for I mean, one I have to say that I did in that lesson, I didn't I didn't prep that in advance. I've I've written similar ones to that before. I didn't I didn't need to, but there's certainly ones that I do need to prep in advance. Uh, so if it's um, an area of the spec just where perhaps I don't mark as much, um, you know, I share a GCC class with my colleagues. So, it, you know, there are times where I will write the full thing out in advance, even if I then don't out exactly matching to that on the day. At least I've gone through that process and thinking about it. And certainly I, I have done this previously with A-level as well. And actually, interestingly, when I worked in the labs at Loughborough, we used to do it. But back then it was we would write on acetate that would be protected, projected using OHP. Maybe you're um, modelling uh, using like formula and X-Fizz or whatever. So this is really like the, the model. Well, it's the same thing. This, yeah, this, it is. Yeah. That's the same thing. It's just a, an update. And I've seen some really innovative homemade visualizers using old CDs yeah. and reflecting and mirrors. So there are ways of doing it without um, making it happen. You just have to be, you know, quite creative. For sure. In, in terms of how, how big an impact this could be, well, if you go on effect sizes and, and things like that, if you read around a lot, and really what we're aiming to leverage here is uh, making our learners a little bit more competent in terms of self-regulation while they're right, working through an answer. Does this fit the processes that the expert, Miss Butler, even if they don't want to think of me as an expert, goes through, you know, at what stage am I at now in this relative to the question? Where will I go next? And if you you sort of like the EF toolkit, you know, that is a massive area of, of potential performance increase for our pupils. It's uh, the highest, um, the highest rated strategy alongside feedback. Yeah. OK. Huge thanks, Debs. Everybody show your appreciation because that was really interesting. And you made it work, which yeah. is, you know, yeah. just showing off, really. And that's where our discussions paused. I'd like to thank Harmony, Connie, Lucy and Debs for their insights into examination PE. Thanks for listening and hopefully you'll join us for part two of this special edition.